I'm Dr. Tim Sagers, and this is Captive Health Presents Healthcare Insights. Today, I'll be sitting down with Ted Kepros. Ted earned his master's in physical therapy from the University of Iowa and has been actively practicing for over 20 years. He is the founder and CEO of Kepros Physical Therapy and Performance, and he has served and consulted various industries and organizations, including both the PGA and the LPGA. In today's conversation, we discuss common causes of low back pain, more holistic approaches to managing back pain at home, the ineffectiveness of commonly used medications, and alternative care management approaches for chronic back pain. As a primary care physician, I see patients every day with back pain, so I've been looking forward to talking with Ted to gain a better understanding of low back pain. With that, let's talk better health with Ted Kepros. Hello and welcome to the Captive Health Podcast. I'm Tim Sagers, physician and president of Captive Health. Captive Health is a physician-led organization that was created to help businesses and their employees reduce their healthcare risks, improve their overall health, with a variety of programs including 24-hour telemedicine, health and wellness services, and chronic disease support programming. Our goal with our podcast and other productions is to provide education and support to businesses and their employees so they can utilize healthcare more efficiently. With us today for our inaugural podcast is Mr. Ted Kepros. Ted is the CEO and founder of Kepros Physical Therapy and Performance. Ted is a well-known content expert in the area of sports medicine and orthopedic physical therapy in the Midwest and beyond. He's well-recognized nationally and is widely published and is considered a subject matter expert for the orthopedic section of the American Physical Therapy Association. Ted served as a consultant in various capacities, including the LPGA and the PGA. Ted continues to serve as a clinical physical therapist. His organization continues to grow, and he remains active in academic service. And Ted, thanks for being here. Uh, Ted and I today are going to talk about something that all of us experience, uh, even providers like Ted and I. We all get back pain. Uh, Back pain is a big driver of medical care utilization. It's a big driver of health care costs and spending, not just in America, but around the world. And to start our conversation, Ted, I'd like to just share a few statistics to kind of frame the problem we're talking about Absolutely. today. Um, back pain's a big deal. It happens to everybody. Well over half of all people get back pain at some time in their life. Uh, back pain is one of the top presenting conditions to emergency room. And in fact, in primary care where I practice, Clinically, it is the number two reason people seek physician care. The cost of back pain in America is far-reaching. Statistics from the CDC and other organizations suggest that employers spend about $1,685 a year caring for back pain for their average employee. This estimates to about $225 billion of annual business loss in the United States, let alone with the money spent on health care, health care services, and medication. Uh, back pain continues to be a big problem for all of us. So setting the table, we know it's a big problem. Everyone listening has had back pain. You have, I have. Uh, in fact, I have because Ted's helped me with my back pain in the past. Um, but I want to just start, Ted, by kind of maybe setting the table with some definitions so that people understand us as we move through our conversation. People use different words for back pain. Back pain, sciatica, lumbago. Um, we all have different words for our back pain. Uh, but could you start by explaining maybe the differences in back pain, uh, chronic versus acute, uh, and the other definitions that might be important to our conversation? Absolutely. So with acute 
back pain. I think most of us have experienced this. It's usually something that's a sudden onset and often it'll be something as simple as bending down and picking up a piece of paper, which we say to ourselves, how could that happen? And, and I'll maybe get back to that in a bit. Um, but it usually resolves within, you know, any, anywhere between one day and two weeks all on its own, uh, may not even need the care of a provider. And, uh, you know, again, usually goes away at, l- at least perceptually. Um, chronic pain is any reoccurrent back pain that really goes on for longer than three months. We usually say 12 weeks or longer. And the issue with chronic back pain is uh, it's, it's in itself kind of interesting because when we look at statistics, uh, most individuals, and when I say most, 75 to 84% of individuals that have one episode of acute pain will have a chronic episode or have back pain again. Uh, and, and so that was a, a pretty harsh statistic that we looked at maybe 10 years ago and started to look at that and say, why is that and how can we change that? And there's some different ways to do it. Um, in regard to uh, you know the sciatica and, and mechanical back pain, when we look at back pain itself, a lot of times we say, well, it, it's got to be the disc. It's always the disc. The reality is it's probably over 80% of injuries to the low back have nothing to do with the disc. And what a lot of people don't know, and I just had this conversation with a patient today because she happens to be 50 plus. She has two herniated discs at L4 and 5 that are moderate to high level disc herniations. And so her concern is that, uh, you know, it's got to be my disc because I can't walk. Yet she presents with no radiating leg pain, she has no discogenic type symptoms. And what I explained to her is any 30-year-old has an average of one to two disc herniations and has no idea they have them. So it's just a change or an adaptation in a lot of people in their body. But most back pain is actually musculoskeletal from the standpoint of not involving the nerve and the sciatic nerve, but more portions of the disc called the annulus, portions of the uh, small muscles between the back joint, um, called the facet joint. And so a, a lot of it is just those muscle strains and some of the really, you know, kind of blase fair stuff that, that we treat the most and see the most. Do you think, is it fair to say that <clears throat> most back pain goes away on its own? I mean, if, if, if people like me don't get involved and we don't do too much, would, would most people, uh, if they haven't had a significant injury, most people, their back pain will just get better. Yeah, you know, and that's a really interesting point that you bring up. Uh, typically, yes. Um, that's what we see is, is if they don't do anything. And I, I used to make a joke because we talk about pain. And, and that's a challenge I think most people don't think of is we have a pain threshold. We also have what I would refer to as a dysfunction threshold. So I work with some Olympic athletes, high-level athletes, um, at all different levels. And when we see these folks, um, I, you know, look them over and kind of do a once over a little bit like you would on tuning a car and I'll find anywhere between five and nine dysfunctions on them, meaning ways that they don't have flexibility in areas they need it, or they don't move with proper motor control patterns, meaning their postures don't move the right way or their muscles don't sequence the right way. And they can have that for years and not have injury or pain. But then you get to that next level, which is injury threshold. So injury threshold would be that change in the disc. Uh, And and we know we have it, but we're still not painful. So why is that? Well, we just haven't gotten far enough along mechanically, and that's the piece of paper. So I bend down to pick up that piece of paper, 
and all of a sudden my back quote goes out, whatever that means. And so essentially what we think of as a single, a single episode really has been building up, up underneath that. Uh, some research that came out of Spine uh, in 2002 and, and some additional studies out of the Australian journals in the late 80s and actually early 90s demonstrated that there's particular muscles that shut down. And uh, that's one of the interesting things about back pain is, is they'll shut down, but they don't necessarily reboot on their own. And so that's where we've been able to reduce some of that chronicity if somebody has a second episode of back pain of addressing the issue, not just addressing the pain, if that makes sense. No, that makes total sense. And I've, I've had discussions with patients myself and I, you know, I, when I look at a patient with chronic or intermittent back pain, very often I look at them and say, look, this isn't about injury. This is about lifestyle. Um, and, and that's, that's probably not fair because I think a lot of patients try hard. Uh, they're working on their fitness they're doing their stretches, they're doing their yoga, they're doing their things. Um, but my experience has been in primary care that most back pain is preventable. Uh, and I don't know if lifestyle is the word, um, but basically our behaviors are probably more of a factor than any type of injury. And in fact, I find it interesting what you said earlier, because in my practice, I will tell you that I rarely see somebody with back pain that relates an injury. It's usually, I woke up this way, or... I turned and picked up my granddaughter, and this happened. And it's usually, like you said, picking up a piece of paper. Right. Um, and I think that's that's a really important thing for people to think about. Um, I also It also makes me think, um, one time in medical school, a professor told me, no one ever gets rid of back pain. It's like luggage. Um, and I think, you know, I think that might be the case. And I think part of it does relate back to lifestyle, sedentary lifestyle, lack of exercise. And, and it's interesting to hear you talk about muscles not firing um, because I guess we, they retire and then we don't bring them out of retirement because of our ongoing lifestyle. But that makes sense to me. And I think, I think it's probably, I would argue, when you see patients in the physical therapy clinic, there's probably some consistencies there. Almost all of them have some maybe um, lifestyle factors or behavioral factors that you can almost predict. Absolutely. I mean, we, COVID, for example, uh, folks started working from home. So we saw the chronic neck issues because of improper postures with their setups. Zoom meetings on the couch. (laughs) (laughs) With back pain. With back pain. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. So, you know, uh, absolutely. And and it's very fascinating to me because uh, there's a lot of standing, for example, postural issues people don't recognize how hard sitting or standing is on their body, especially if you're standing in one place. And so we work on that all the time about, let's teach you how to breathe, which sounds like so simple, but breathe properly from the diaphragm in sitting. Let's have you do that in standing. Let's have you do that on your hands and knees. Let's do it while you're doing a squat. I'm amazed how many people have breathing issues and don't know how to properly breathe. And, you know, that might be a, another podcast for you, but how many kids are misdiagnosed with exercise-induced asthma, asthma that simply do not know how to breathe? Yeah. So, yeah. You have me sitting here right now, like, focusing on my breathing. It's working. You're really good. You're really good. Um, I want to I talk a little bit about how we take care of back pain. Uh, and, and we'll come back a little bit to what, what patients can do to, to help themselves with their back pain. But when you get patients into your clinics, what are some common things you see? What have they tried and failed with? What are some, I like to call myths, 
uh, care yeah. myths, but what are things you commonly see that people have done? And, and quite frankly, guys like me have done, providers have done too, that, that don't make sense. Or what are some common things you see that um, you would recommend against? Yeah. So one of the things that people, obviously, they self-medicate, which we understand. I mean, everybody turns to their bottle of ibuprofen or they turn to their, you know, uh, their Tylenol or whatever else. Um, uh, again, I used to make the joke in order to deal with pain, you could drink a fifth of Jack, you could walk five miles or you could, you know, take a, a bunch of ibuprofen and all of them are going to make you feel better. Um, there, there's maybe a little bit of truth to that, but what I see people do is actually they rest, which is the number one worst thing. They do get on the couch. Um, some of them get in, you know, they, I'll have people come in and they're like, yeah, these are my uncle Ed's muscle relaxants. He had them in his cabinet for like 10 years. And so we get some of that as well. But I think the biggest thing is they think I'm injured. Mm-hmm. I can't move. And so, um, they don't. And when they don't move, it's bad news. And we saw that, right? So, I look back in the days when we put grandma in the hospital for 10 sure. days when we were on vacation and, sure. and then did it, the DRG days. Um, so, uh, you know, we would essentially, um, you know, take people and put them on traction when they had back pain. And we realized that was the worst thing you could possibly do. We need to move. And what's really fascinating about that is some of the more recent, uh, I guess, things coming to light in regard to that, the, the musculoskeletal system is the largest driver to the endocrine system and frankly your heart and everything in between. So I'm waiting for the day when somebody does go into the hospital and they're in a coma that we as PTs come in and hook them up to electrical stem and stimulate their quads and stimulate their muscle just to get some activity because otherwise the other organs don't know to pump. They don't know to move. So, uh, yeah, you know, those are the big things. Um, the other thing is a lot of people are, they think it's a single, a single episode, um, like I said, they bent down to pick up the piece of paper and they don't realize, oh, this has subtly been going on or my hamstrings are way too tight or I'm overusing my hip flexors because I've been, um, my favorite was a gentleman that moved here from California and I was seeing him and he said, uh, you know, I, I really can't figure out why this happened. I've got a really strong core. And I said, well, tell me about that. And he said, well, I was doing about 250 to 350 sit-ups a day, full on sit-ups. And so I checked his hip flexor and he came off the bed and I said, that's why, because you were doing 250, (laughs) you don't have a strong core. You just have a strong six pack. That's not effective and hip flexors. Um, another one is strengthening my back extensors are going to make everything better. So I see people doing, you know, um, some of the reverse hypers or some of the exercises where they're really extending their back muscles. Frankly, again, some of the guys that we see that come in with an injury that's a fracture of the vertebrae called a spondylolisthesis, a lot of them are too built in their spinal extensors, right? They're linebackers, they're big dudes, and so they're doing squats, and uh, they load that up, and those spinal extensors just essentially contract and crush the spine, um, for lack of a better term. Um, Another myth, all low back pain is made better by the same set of exercises. Um, My favorite... Uh, you know, and I always tell people, um, I, I, a friend who, uh, is a a cardiac uh, surgeon, he called me and he said, Hey, could you send me over a couple exercises? My back just like is killing me. I don't know what's going on. And I said, yeah, you know, it's funny. My, my chest has been hurting. I've got a little heart pain. I was wondering if you could just medicate me over the phone. (laughs) He said, Oh, okay. Okay. I'll come in. And I said, but that's the thing is, is everybody's back pain is a little different. And so it's not a one size fits all. 
And just the same as, you know, you hate it when people go on Healthline or Doc, you know, www.docmed or whatever uh, and self-diagnose. That's the same thing. When people go on the internet and they find exercises that are supposed to be best for the abs or whatever it might be, it's not quite that simple. Yeah, so, I, I, that's a really good point. I mean, the back's really complex. I mean, people think about the vertebra and everyone knows about discs because they right. heard that they bulge. Uh, but the structure of the back is really complex, and we won't get into a deep anatomical discussion here. Uh, maybe we'll throw some pictures up for the audience. But I think that's true. I, when you're talking, it reminded me I was working out early in the morning at one of these 24-hour gyms one time, and there's a big guy in there, you know, really good shape. The guy's built well, and he's over in the corner on one of those racks. He's got a probably a 50-pound bar or 50-pound plate, and he's doing these back stretch and extensions. And I said dude, you're going to break your back. Or I just made a joke, and I don't know the guy, and he looks at me and goes, I've never had back pain. And I walked away, and I'm like, you will. <laughs> you're going to, yeah, you know. Yeah, yeah. But people do that, you know. And, and and going back to the rest thing, we still, I mean, I see back pain every day in my clinic. When I'm in my clinic uh, being a doctor, I deal with back pain every day. And when I ask people, well, what did you do for this? The first thing they told me is, I just took it easy for three days. Yep. Um, and, you know, we try to reinforce that to the people, too. you got to be active. you got to keep moving. Uh, and the joke I like to say is, hey, when you stop moving, you stop moving. Right. Um, but that's a really important uh, point for our listeners. You know, it, it, don't do crazy things. Don't climb mountains. Don't move cars with your arms. But keep moving. Stay active. Do some gentle stretching. And we'll come back to that in a little bit, too, probably. Um, but that's that's really good advice. And, um, uh, I, you know, as far as what I see people do... Um, People do the right thing sometimes. They find a reputable site online, and they, they ice and heat, and they do some gentle stretching and that kind of stuff. Um, but I, I hear about the same kind of mistakes and myths. And um, and I think you know I think one of the reasons it's good to talk about this is physicians propagate some of those myths too. I mean, I, yep. there's still probably doctors around that have people put a back belt on, oh, a yeah. support belt, and all these things that we know now are probably not real good for people. Right. But old practices die hard, that's for sure. Yes. Um, so I want to talk a little bit, um, as a doctor, you know, we prescribe a lot of medicine. Um, interestingly, a couple of years ago, a big study came out from the American College of Physicians, which is basically uh, the American uh, college that represents internists and that kind of, those kinds of doctors. And they came out with this pretty good meta-analysis, this big study of things that work for, they use the term mechanical back pain. So when I use that term, I'm referring to people that don't have a fracture in their back. Uh, don't have a big disc compression. They just have soft tissue, muscle, connective tissue, injury or inflammation. And it was it was obvious from their study that people with back pain, the average person does not need any medicine. Right. I mean, they recommend initially not even use an ibuprofen, don't use Tylenol, all the simple things we think about. Um, and so, I mean, they, they recommended stretching, strengthening, exercise. That was their first line. And then if that doesn't work, go to medication. Um, I think patients are quick to use medicine. Doctors are quick to use medicine. Um, we're using much less narcotic than we used to because of all the rules about narcotics. If those rules weren't in place, I don't think we would have changed our behavior. I agree. Um, muscle relaxants are still used too much, even though there's overwhelming evidence they don't do anything but sedate people. Um, but as a clinician, um, we have patients that come into the clinics and they want something done. They want to feel better. Um, and we're all living in the Amazon era. I mean, we want it now. We want it today. Right. We want it to get fixed, and it's not that easy. And so I think there's still a lot of prescribing. Can you talk a little bit about your thoughts on medicine in back pain and what you've seen, what might work or what doesn't? 
Yeah, you know, with someone who has uh, back to you know the difference between sciatica and mechanical. Somebody has sciatica and they've got symptomology down the leg. If I'm unable to change that in a week's time, and that'd be a long time, uh, because typically I expect to have 35 to 50 percent improvement in the first visit, and we're able to often do that, whether it's sciatica, sciatica or traditional mechanical low back pain. Uh, really by just doing some soft tissue work. They can do that as well by moving. So if I start to get up and walk, I loosen up my hip flexor. Um, I loosen up my paraspinal muscles or my long muscles that go down my back. And, uh, you know, back to, you know, not that we want to do an anatomy lesson, but you think about that. We've got 23 discs. We've got these vertebrae up and down our spine, and they're all attached by these long muscles. So I kind of have this theory. I call it the stack of dominoes theory. If you took a stack of dominoes and you attached a rubber band from the top to the bottom, it's going to spit out the opposite direction. That's sort of what happens when those muscles get too tight. So that's what people feel, and they don't understand that they've got to get that check and balance between the abdominal muscles and the low back muscles and some of the deep stabilizers. Um, and, and so those are some of the things that we often have to kind of get at. But back to the medicine, yeah, I mean, it, once they get on a medicine, especially if it's a pain med or a muscle relaxant, they're not as cognitive. They're not as there. They feel like that's their go-to. And what we've realized, and this is, uh, you know, there's been ample research to demonstrate this. If you trust your medical provider and you've got a good working relationship, your back pain gets better 80% of the time comparatively. Um, it's not about the medicine. It's about trust and realizing this is going to get better on its own. So what that tells me is, if people trusted themselves and they knew this isn't going to be a bad, horrible thing, because it, it, if you've had an acute set of back pain, onset of back pain, you know it's scary. It feels like your world's gone. You can't go to work. You can't get out of your car. You can't do a lot of things. So it's that scare factor, I think. And cognitively, again, pain tells us something's wrong with us. Um, it's supposed to. The reality is, is it's muscles going into spasm that's causing the pain by that point. And if we can reduce that by getting up and moving, our body will reset to a certain degree. I would much rather do that than go on medications. And that's the reason you and I know this. Every medication has at least seven to nine other pathways in our body. So it's doing other things and uh, not necessarily things we want it to. So um, I, I, I would much prefer and definitely the narcotics and opioids. Uh, you know, that that's the challenge is once people get on those, it's really hard to get them off and it just changes their brain's ability to really assess the pain and say what to do with it. Um, and so we're, we're in a huge uphill battle once we see them on narcotics. Yeah. Yeah. It's hard to stop that. It's like, it's hard to get rid of back pain. Sometimes it's really hard to get off medication. Yes. Um, and you're right. There's other things that feel better when people take medicine for back pain Sometimes it makes other things feel better. So right. patients see it as, hey, I'm going to do this. But uh, I see that in my practice too. And, and people are coming around to this. People are becoming a little more holistic about this and a little more uh, listening to their bodies a little more. I think there's some good stuff out there on the internet. There's some terrible stuff too. Uh, but this idea of total back care, and, and I think it's catching on. But I think there's still a lot to learn. Uh, I think providers still need to change their behavior, and, and we're slowly working on that. Um, can you talk a little bit about uh, the other thing I see people come into my office and they've been to other providers, uh, maybe their chiropractor, some other professionals that they see, 
and they've done needling and they doing they're doing laser therapy and things like this. Um, can you talk a little bit about the indication for that or what what what? Sure. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, um, I want people to hear it from you, Ted. Uh, yeah. Sure. Thanks. <laughs> Thanks for putting me on the spot. I am all about early and fast intervention um, and and conservative management intervention. Um, and the reason I am is a little bit what I was just talking about that spasm. I, I refer to it as the bank robbery effect. Uh, you imagine in a, a bank, somebody comes in and they're gonna they, they say, "Hey, give me all your money." Bars go down around the bank. Well, that's your large muscles going into spasm. So those again, back muscles, long extensors, your hip flexors, they go into spasm and lock up. We know that the deep stabilizers, similar to somebody shutting down the computer system on the inside of the bank to make sure money doesn't transfer, well, those deep stabilizers shut down. And so once they shut down, they're not going to spontaneously reboot. And that takes a little bit more time beyond the spasm, but not much. So we like early intervention. The laser therapy and some of those, the idea of that is it's an anti-inflammatory. Basically, um, it's, it's going to also um, give uh, cold laser therapy. I guess I should make note of that, that that's typically what's going to be used on backs. And really, the idea is to decrease the, the bradykinins and essentially allow the body to start to heal and increase endorphins and kephalins and things like that, which basically is the body's natural response to pain, right? So if we can um, build up those endorphins, then we're going to reduce our pain naturally with the anti-inflammatory effect. That's the idea behind cold laser. Uh, some of my colleagues use cold laser quite a bit. I do not. Um, and it's not because I don't think it's effective. I just think it's one more tool. Mm -hmm. I often find that, you know, again, about a manual therapy and a few other tools will work effectively on acute. The more chronic cases, I'm not as big of a proponent with cold laser. Um, one of the things now we're getting more into is radial shock wave therapy. Right. So there's extracorporal or there's radial shock wave. We have radial shock wave we use. Um, that's just a choice. One goes to a, a slightly deeper depth, um, probably can do a little bit more damage because of that. Um, but the idea is to stimulate growth in a muscle that is essentially shot down or shut down become dormant or um, is just not healing properly. And that's one of the interesting things with our body, especially tendons, is that once they uh, become painful chronically, they lose that blood supply, as you know, and then uh, they don't respond as well. So if we get into more of those chronic cases, we'll use some of those things. Those are kind of the latest and greatest. There's other, you know, again, you can go anywhere and you're going to find somebody that's got a new trick. Sure. Um, we use functional dry needling. Uh, you know, with, with functional dry needling, essentially think of acupuncture, at least that size needle, but more Western medicine. Um, it's dry needling because it's not wet, meaning it's not injectables. And the dry needling, the effectiveness of it, one, I can put it into a motor unit and essentially stimulate it to cause the muscle to calm down. Or I can put it into a different location and stimulate the muscle to get it to turn back on. So it can be effective both in acute and chronic situations. And it's really, again, just another way to get to the deep muscle and reboot the computer, so to speak. That's good information. I get a lot of questions about that. People <clears throat> who live with chronic back pain or other forms of chronic pain come in like, hey, my, my brother went to this guy and he, he used a laser and he's feeling better. And um, so I'm learning about it too. And there, 
it's being used for lots of things. So I'm a little skeptical. Um, it's kind of like when you go to a restaurant and the menu's huge. Yeah. They can't be that good at all that food, you know? It's like <laughs> same thing with the laser. It can't fix everything. I don't think anyway, but not, you know, it's not oxygen, but, um, and that's but, a hard thing with everything, right? The latest and greatest that comes yeah. out. And, you know, we've often said that, that, you know, when you've got a nail in front of you, you put a hammer in your hand every time because right. it's just, you know, so you, you're definitely going to find ways to utilize it if you have it, but you don't always need it. Yeah. That's, that's really good advice. And I, you know, I, I tell people a lot when they come to see me because they ask about that stuff. And I'm, I try to go back to the basics. I always call it going home to mama, you know, go back to some really simple, basic things before we start digging into that, that toolbox. And it may be needed some time. Um, if, if we could, I want to make sure that the listeners understand too. There are times when back pain is a big deal. There are times where mm-hmm. it is serious. There are times where it is dangerous. And, and fortunately, that's, you know, my, my experience and certainly the researchers suggest that's, you know, it's a small percentage of people, 3% of people with, with new back pain. Um, can you talk a little bit about, I, I like to call them red flags or things that the listeners should know that, hey, if this happens with your back pain, you know, get to your doctor kind of thing. Can you talk about that a little bit? Absolutely. So, when we reference the sciatica, sciatica just means I've got leg symptoms. And so we always talk about in our profession trying to centralize uh, symptoms, meaning if I have pain that goes all the way to my foot, my goal is to bring that to the knee and above as soon as I possibly can. Pain is just a symptom. If I get true numbness, and there's a big difference, because I can have pain, I can have tingling, um, all those things. Um, if I have true numbness, meaning I touch my leg and I touch my other and I'm not feeling the leg where I'm having symptoms, um, that's an issue. Uh, and obviously, if and one of the things I always tell my patients, try to walk on your toes. So a simple test you can do at home is walk on your toes or duck walk, meaning walk up on your heels or with your toes up and, and on your heels. And if you can't do either of those, it's probably time to see a physician. Um, and, and the reason for that is, is sometimes the back of the nerve root is compressed, as you know, and if it's worse or the disc herniation is larger, it can compress the front or the anterior aspect of the nerve root, and it's going to get more into the motor. And essentially, for listeners, it's you know uh, one of those things where um, it's like unplugging your vacuum cleaner. You know, it doesn't work anymore. It doesn't have energy. And that's what happens is the nerves getting cut off. And so they don't have adequate nerve supply to that muscle and that muscle is not going to work. So it doesn't matter what they do. They have that. Um, those would be two th- things that I'd say, get to the doctor now. Um, and let's do some additional diagnostics. And obviously there's the other one, bowel and bladder dysfunction. You know, somebody says, you know, they're losing their bowels or their bladder um, spontaneously. Uh, That means they've got a problem down at the bottom of their spinal cord. And that's a bigger deal compression. Very, very rare. But obviously those are a few things that you want to be aware of. Outside of that, mechanical low back pain, um, if it's not responding, you need to be in good hands and have a care provider that if they're not getting you better, you need, you need to be prepared to say, who can? <laughs> what do I need to do next? Um, I think that's our job and our responsibility. Um, but uh, most of it, it's going to resolve and it's going to get better with patience and time, which that's hard to say to somebody that needs to go to work and you know needs to do their daily life. 
Yeah, those are those are really good points. And certainly the one caveat I would add too is if you know if somebody's injured, truly injured, if you fall off the ladder or fall yeah, off your roof, absolutely. Uh, that's serious back pain and <laughs> yeah. somebody needs to look at you. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and that that's a good transition into my next uh uh the next topic I just want to review and that is you know, I think a lot of people maybe it's nights, maybe it's weekend, maybe it's a holiday, they get a sore back, they go to the emergency room. Um, the emergency room, um, thank God they're there. They do great work. They're there for emergencies. As we just said, overwhelmingly, back pain is not an emergency. It's not fun. Uh, as somebody who's lived with it and has had back surgery, I know it ain't fun. Right. Um, but I think it's it's really important to uh, for listeners to think about when they use the emergency room and how they use it. Um, I, my experience has been that uh, despite all the good work in the emergency room, they don't fix back pain either. Uh, right. Not while you're there. Um and so very often people go in, maybe get some pain medicine and go home. Um, the emergency room doctors are just making sure you're safe and they're going to try to help you that night. But um, your back pain is not going to get fixed in the emergency room. And um, would you say it's fair to say that unless you have the acute onset of the symptoms you talked about or there's trauma, that kind of thing, back pain probably doesn't belong in the emergency room? Uh, absolutely. You know, it's interesting because earlier you said uh, go home to mama is one of the things you, you recommend. Um, similar to our kids, when they call us and we're out and, and we say, are you dying or bleeding? Yeah. Then don't call again. <laughs> um, same kind of response for emergency rooms. You know, emergency rooms, and, and, and I uh, sometimes get a little frustrated with patients because they'll say, you know, I went to the emergency room and they really didn't do anything. Well, what they did, they did a lot. They ensured you weren't dying. They ensured that you didn't have a trauma and they stabilized you. That is their job in the emergency room. So you, you've got to change your expectations and you might change where you go for what you truly need. So 100%, my recommendation is, uh, as scary as it may be, if you haven't fallen off a ladder and you've got this acute situation and you're laying on the floor in your underwear, crawling into the bathroom and you're scared to death, don't go to the emergency room. That's one of those things where you call your physio or you call your MD and you say, okay, what's my next steps? Yeah. That's good advice. And I think, um, you know, uh, we talked about, uh, we're going to talk about prevention here to wrap up, but I want to just review a little bit. Um, most back pain is manageable. Uh, most back pain will get better. Uh, I think a big rule is when you have a new onset of back pain, if you don't have these warning symptoms we talked about, keep moving, be active, uh, keep yourself mobile. Um, medicine's probably not the answer immediately. Um, talk to your provider, get referred to get some some therapy and other things to get your muscles firing once again. With that in mind, can you just, let's wrap up with talking about uh, stopping this stuff to begin with. How, and I understand as an upright animal, we're all going to get some back pain um, at some time in our life, but uh, what are two or three things you would tell anybody if they ask you, hey, how do I keep, how do I keep from seeing you, Ted? How do I stay out of your yeah. office? Yeah. What do I do? You know, the, the uh, front belly weight, is one big one. Um, and it's a challenge, right? I mean, let's be honest. Uh, we know that um, we have probably our largest level of obesity now nationwide. But that wraparound belly weight is really hard on people. And, and all you have to do is think of, uh, you know, uh, gals when they're women, when they go through pregnancy, it's probably as high as 80 to 90% get sciatica at some point through that and back pain. Um, and it's just because the belly weight gets out front. Well, the same thing happens if it's non-baby weight. And so that's one of the things is staying fit and active. 
The other is, is I really tell people walk. Um, walking is just a great form of exercise. And, and frankly, I even do it for my athletes. Non-exercise movement, which is walking, is uh, one of the best medicines for the body. And it just gets blood flow. It gets things moving. It Again, the muscles in your back are both... Um, they're extensors, but they're rotatory, right? They rotate you. So when you're walking, you get that natural reciprocal arm swing. So it's almost like uh, a baby rocking in a bassinet. You're just massaging those muscles as you're moving. So a good walking regimen is fantastic um, for prevention. Um, the last one is, I think, really, um, if you get an opportunity to work with somebody and just go in and get assessed on your quality of movement. I know that seems odd and people aren't used to that. Um, but you know, we talk about it. Everybody goes to the dentist twice a year, right? Um, I have some folks that I see twice a year and all I'm really doing is looking at the quality of their movement and how they're moving. Golfers are a good example. I've got several guys that come in at least once a year uh, and gals and um, one right now that I'm seeing, and he, he's relatively new to golf, but um, he loves the game and he's addicted. And the funny thing is, is the very thing we're working on with him and to reduce his pain, all of a sudden he's hitting the ball with this nice baby draw. He's starting <laughs> to hit the ball really well. And I'm like, wow, isn't that neat when you hit the ball well? So now you know if you do it right, you don't hurt. So, um, you know, that, that's the thing is if we look at some of those simple mechanics, we can clean that up. Um, standing posture makes a difference. Um, choosing firm chairs over soft chairs makes a difference. Soft chairs are not necessarily good. They look comfortable. I've always been frustrated by chairs and cars because that bucket, it, you tell me how many people love their sure. bucket seat. They always have back pain in them. But if I firm that up, and so one of the things I tell people that have back pain, throw a cutting board inside your the bottom of your seat and throw a pillow behind your back and just uh, try to tilt your seat so the front's down a little bit or at least level instead of reclined back. Um, those are some simple things that you can do. Um, if you sit in an office all day, get up and move. Um, you know, those, that's, that's a good aspect. Uh, also have somebody do an ergo check on you, an ergonomic check on you and just look at it basically and most companies have that. Um, it just makes sure that you're preventative that way. But the getting up and moving is probably the bigger part. That's great advice. If we all did that, we'd be better off. That's for sure. Ted, thanks so much for being part of Captive Health Podcast. Yeah. Appreciate yeah. it. Absolutely. Thanks for having me.